Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. Uh, like Julie was saying uh, earlier, uh, we uh, want to just try to like, walk through why we do what we do. I think you can kind of take for granted the different parts of a service, especially if you've been going to church for a long time. And so all of the elements of the church service are really sort of intentional. Um, and this is the part where we as a church want to gather uh, under God's word, believing that God still speaks to us and still is, is, is present in our lives through the spirit, through the book that he gave us, uh, which, is called, which we call the Bible, the uh, scripture. And so as part of our sort of community gathering on Sunday mornings where we gather together in worship, we gather together to participate uh, w- with Christ, uh, we gather together it, to, to sort of um, show who we think we are as a community uh, in the people of God. We also take time to spend uh, hearing from God through His Word. And so that's what the sermon is for each week as we sort of gather and live, uh, live that out as a community over and over again. So what I want to do is I want to read our passage today. We are in our, I think it's our third sermon in a series on Philippians that we're going to be doing this summer, Um, and then we will hop into expounding on it and talking about, uh, you know, what God is saying to us, I think, through this word that was written, you know, many thousands of years ago, but still has relevance and speaks to us today. So let me read it. Philippians 1, 12 to 26. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, know that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have uh, gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach uh, with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Christ Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires— I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Let me pray. Lord, help us as we study your word this morning that Paul wrote from a prison cell uh, 2,000 years ago that we would... um, Uh, learn from that, Lord, that we would find connections to our own lives today and the situations that we might find ourselves in, whether as individuals or in the church. God, just speak to us through your word and through your son, Jesus, and your Holy Spirit. We pray in his name. Amen. So a little bit of a background. A couple weeks ago, we talked a little bit about this. We took a week off last week for our spring retreat, so um, kind of a refresher for you. If you uh, were here a couple weeks ago, and if not, just a background in the book of Philippians. 
The Apostle Paul is in prison right now. We're not, we're not totally sure where, but he's updating this Philippian church. He's not in prison in Philippi. He's somewhere else. He's updating this Philippian church on his situation. He's also thanking them for this gift of money that they had uh, sent to him, which actually is helping to keep him alive just because of how prison worked in the ancient world. And so you can kind of think a little bit of the, of the letter of uh, Philippians, at least in some senses, as kind of a ministry update letter. You know how if you support a missionary, sometimes you get these update letters from them? Um, and he's saying kind of, here is the effect of your partnership with me. He talks a lot about partnership or uh, this thing called koinonia, which I uh, talked a lot about a couple weeks ago, but I found out I was mispronouncing later on. So that was a little embarrassing to, uh, to figure out. But uh, okay, he's, so he's talking about this partnership that they have together. Maybe another way you can think about it is if... Um, like a Kickstarter or a Patreon, right? Someone that you support online in some way. You're sending money to them, and you get updates from them sometimes saying, you know, here's some stuff that's going on, and you get, a, and you get this special message because you're a supporter. <clears throat> and so imagine that you are supporting someone like that, and you get an email from them that kind of updates you on the situation. So just a heads up, we're stuck in a scandal. We're actually trending online right now for some pretty bad reasons, and I got thrown in prison as a result of it, okay? But everything is fine. No need to panic. This is good. We can work with this. This is going to help us out, all right? So uh, when I was thinking about this earlier, it made me think of this, this meme. I don't know if you guys have seen this one before of the dog sitting in the room and everything's on fire around him, but he's just got a big smile on his face and he's like, this is fine. Everything's fine. You might read the update letter from Paul and think he is like this dog in this meme here. Okay, like this is totally not fine, um, but he's kind of deluding himself here. Okay, you'd probably be asking yourself, okay, what did I put my money towards? Can I get this money back now at this point? Um, but what we find with Paul, and, I, and I, you know, specifically in this letter, but in other places as well, is this guy just, he thinks in a different way, I think, than we tend to. He, he, he thinks uh, really maybe outside, way outside the box. Okay? But maybe even that's not a fair way to put it, because for him, he has such an understanding of, of the product, and that's not maybe the right word, but if we're sticking with this analogy of, of kickstart, or a Kickstarter or a Patreon or something like that, like the product itself, because of how it works in its nature, Paul is actually not concerned, but he's actually encouraged by what's taking place. And so today what I want us to do is unpack that and talk about how the growth of the church, the growth of this message of proclaiming Jesus is really not like the growth of anything else in the world, okay? The substance of what it is actually matters to how it grows or spreads. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, in Philippians 1, uh, 26, Paul says this, and he's talking a little bit about the goal of what he's up to. Okay, so he says, I have uh, sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So the goal here is that Christ will be exalted or honored is another word you see sometimes translated for this. Now, the Greek word here is, is megalino, and the word mega is in the front of that. And the word mega in that time meant the same thing it does now. It, it kind of has an idea of like expanding or growing or a bigger version of something. So um, the, the name and impact is, is sort of expanding wide, deep, in a way that is, is pleasing and honored. You actually find this word megalino sometimes used to describe things that are long, 
just an object that is really long. Maybe it's something that has you know, great fanfare to it as an object, but it's, a big, it's big, it's expanded. We actually have uh, instances of the, of the New Test- in the New Testament of the word being used that way. And so um, the idea here is that Christ's name is exalted, it's expanded, it's, it's thick, right? And there's, it's sort of pleasing and honored in the places that it goes, and it has a wide impact. It's being spread, it's being exalted and honored where it goes. And for Paul, we all get to share in this. And that's that big idea of partnership or koinonia that we talked about a couple weeks ago, this idea of what we said was deep friendship headed in the same direction. The direction that we're headed as a church, as a people of God, is seeing the name of Christ and the impact of Christ expanding wide and deep in a way that is pleasing or honoring to him. Now, um, this idea of expanding or honoring the name of Christ is running into a couple of problems, and Paul sort of details those problems to the Philippians. So the first problem is that Paul is in jail. <clears throat> Paul's in jail a lot. If you read your New Testaments, you're aware of the fact that this is not like a, a, a single instance of, of this issue for Paul. This is a, a normal thing for him. But going to prison in the ancient world as it is today is not an honorable thing, okay? There's a lot of uh, uh, shame that is attached to someone who goes to prison. And so when Paul says uh, to the Philippians what he says here in verses 12 and 13, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread uh, the good news for everybody here, including the whole palace guard, know that I am in chains because of Christ. What he's saying is everyone knows this guy Paul, he's in prison because of this this message that he's, he's talking about or this person, Jesus, that he's always talking about, that's the reason he's in prison. And so um, what people are going to start to associate with the message that Paul is preaching or the person that Paul is talking about, that's probably you know, what they're, they're, they're like. He's raving about this person named Jesus Christ. We don't know who he is. He talks a lot about him. This Jesus guy must be bad news. Right? He must be really a messed up individual to send this person to prison for talking about him. Okay, that's, what is, that's what people are going to first think as they hear about what's going on here. Right? It's like your product is trending. People are hearing about your product online, but for all the, the, the wrong reasons. You have negative virality going on. Maybe it's your cereal has shrimp tails in it or something like that. I don't know if you guys saw that a few, few months ago, right? That's, that's the reason people are hearing about this issue. So the problem, the, 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 no, the first problem here for Paul is the name of Christ, the thing that he is going around all these cities talking about, has got some bad press that is sort of moving out ahead of it before Paul can even get there. And because he's in prison, he can't do anything to get out there and sort of kind of control the narrative. That's a bit of an issue for him. Now, the second problem is that other people are going out and they're talking about this as well, and some of them have good motives. Some of them have been encouraged or emboldened by Paul, but some of them have the wrong motive. And so Paul talks about this here in verses 14 through 17. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. That's good. It's true, however, that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. But others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. 
So who's the second group of people that Paul talks about? The ones that have, uh, they do not have pure motives, that preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, trying to like uh, apparently make things harder for Paul. Now we're not totally sure, because Paul doesn't give us any specifics, but um, one of the most helpful things I read about this uh, was from a guy named Michael Gorman, and he says this, the situation Paul was referring to is difficult to characterize precisely. Apparently, some saw his arrest and his imprisonment as proof of his demise, his fall from grace and power. Perhaps they saw his imprisonment as being deserved for reasons other than faithfulness to the gospel. That's what he says in verse 16. Or as divine judgment, a sign of the errors of Paul's message and ministry. Perhaps, too, they saw it as an opportunity to preach their particular version of the gospel and to throw around their own apostolic weight. Now that Paul was out of the picture, Paul felt that at least some of them were deliberately trying to hurt him and his reputation as they do this. So whatever the case is, whatever their specific goal is here, whatever the specific situation is, it seems pretty clear that these people have a goal or a motive of maybe gaining some fame for themselves, maybe gaining some influence for themselves, maybe trying to make a little bit of money off of this, right? That was a normal way that people made money in the ancient world was by going around and speaking, sort of using rhetoric to, to speak some message or something to people. You can make, there was a lot of money to be gained off of doing that. Or perhaps they wanted control or power in some way that could come with being known as a figure who has some authority to them. Now, in, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, which we walked through here this last spring, there was this phrase that gets repeated all the time. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Okay, this is not something, as we sort of open ourselves up to the situation that Paul is in, hearing about people that maybe don't have the best motives for going out and doing what they're doing, we start to think, oh, yeah, I think that still happens today, right? Influence and fame and money and power are so intoxicating for us as a society, right? And I think, you know, with the proliferation of the internet and how, and, and reality TV and just how easy it is to get your name out there, right, this is very tempting for people. Yesterday, Julie and I were watching a show and we saw an ad for a new show that's coming out, I forget the name of the show, but the tagline was like Britain's Next Great Jeweler. Like it's a, a show, like a reality show competition about jewelry. And I, just the tagline, I was like, are there other great British jewelers that I should know about? <laughs> right? Am I, is this person going to become a household name now because they're on the show? And, and maybe that's the expectation for a lot of the people who sign up to, to be on the show. And I, I'm sure you guys have heard of or seen uh, other things like this. And this certainly exists outside of the church, okay? But I think we're all pretty aware that it exists in the church as well, right? There's this sort of desire from a lot of people to expand or exalt their own name or profile, kind of using preaching the gospel or ministry as the vehicle in order to uh, acclaim that. And I think this is a really important conversation for the church to be having, right? I know I, I see this often, and, I, and I, don't, I don't always know what to do with it, but I see things like uh, a pastor who had a running track of his Instagram followers in his office, like a little ticker or counter, and I thought, that seems like maybe unnecessary, like not a good thing to be tracking all the time. Now, I definitely met people 
who, and again, I don't want to judge motives, but it really seems to me like they want to do ministry because of dreams they have of gathering a following around themselves. Like, it really seems as if that's the case. And I've been at conferences where, like, the terminology that's used to describe what they're talking about is dream big or do great things. These are kind of the buzzwords that are used. And I'm kind of like, this seems like a lot of conferences could have the same theme as this one, right, that don't have anything to do with the church. Okay, and there's a lot of, there's just very little talk, I feel like, of just faithfully shepherding and stewarding what you've been given, you've been tasked or appointed to do by God. Now, there's a, there's a great podcast, if you want to sort of dig into this more, a great podcast that started coming out recently called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, it's put on by Christianity Today, and it really digs into this, like, this, 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 this issue of we've encouraged people whose talents exceed their character, Right? The character is not a good base or director of the talents. And so what they're doing is they're using these talents to go and sort of acclaim things for themselves that good character, good virtue would say, maybe don't chase after those things. And we talk a lot about, we hear a lot of, of things uh, like grace and humility and how important they are a lot of times. But sometimes when you really peek under the hood of people's ministry, you find that there's really very little grace or humility to be found there. Okay? And I would be lying to you if I you know, had said that I don't feel the pull to, like, push towards this myself as well, um, okay? So there's influence or there's money or fame to be gained, but on the other side of it, there's also a lot of power and control that can come from being in authority position, and you find sometimes that the leader's vision, right, this, this personality's vision of what it means to follow Jesus gets sort of imposed on others, and deviants are sort of punished or shamed, right? All, in an, uh, all to, to bring the, the, the power and control back to the leader more and more. And this is where you see abusive settings that we often, far too often hear about in churches. That's a lot of that comes from that, sort of a wrong motive to want to be in ministry. Now, full stop, okay? Let me just put this caveat in here, and I really want you to hear it. I am not telling you to distrust people, you know, pastors or ministry leaders that you see on social media or who have a big following, okay? Don't assume people's motive. That's a dangerous game too. Um, uh, plenty of good comes from sort of the platform that these types of things give to people, right? I myself have grown a lot from people who are in, you know, in a place like this, okay? I, I'm, I'm just, uh, just trying to say, like, this is an issue, right? And it's only getting worse, I think, Okay? This, because this desire for influence or power or whatever it is, if it's so great, you start to become a slave to it or an addict to that thing. Right? And so um, you do whatever it takes to keep it right? or, or to gain more of it. It it's, it's becomes like a drug that you can't quit. And so when you open yourselves up to a leader, right, to someone who's been put, who, you know, you, you, you open yourselves up to them, right? That's what happens when you have a person like this. You're, you're opening up your heart to hear what they have to say, to listen to them, to follow them. And if, if someone is, is in that position and you open yourself up to them, but they have the wrong motives, it's like getting in a car with them and giving them the keys, but then you find out, you know, hopefully not the wrong way, that this person's kind of a, a drug addict. You wouldn't get into a car with someone that you know is addicted to substances, right? You would think, maybe I should not let this person be driving me somewhere. But when we get into a car with people that have these wrong motives, they're addicted to these, the, the, these things that come out of bad motives, they, they drive recklessly or abusively, right? Real harm is possible from that. I think we, we find uh, in, in the Bible, actually, God speaks to this quite a bit. And Ezekiel 34 is a really good example of this. And Jesus actually picks up on that passage in John 10, talking about uh, poor leadership. Because when these leaders crash, 
when their motives become apparent, I don't think I have to tell you that the wreckage from those crashes can, can spill pretty far out from the crash site, right? And so the people that are in the car get hurt, but there's a big blast radius, and a lot of people around it will get hurt as well. And now, for a lot of the people that are involved, anyone who's driving a car, anyone who's in a similar position to the person who hurt them, it starts to be viewed suspiciously. And this is just how trauma works. There's nothing wrong with that. But now other people who might have good motives, right, have to kind of deal with the fallout from that. And that's just sort of the situation we find ourselves in. The damage is not trivial. And I would say, and we'll talk about this a little bit more here in a bit, I would say the consequences of this are kind of catching up to us as a church. And I just think it's something we have to be aware of. But let's go back to the Philippians here, okay? These are Paul's issues that he's dealing with right now. Now, what does he have to say to this? What, what is his sort of assessment of the situation? Well, he says, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. And this is where we start to really see Paul and how he thinks counterintuitively. Because without endorsing people who might have bad motives preaching the gospel, he also acknowledges that God's work is not going to be stopped by, you know, a motivation for influence or power, right? And maybe even the crashes that result um, as, uh, because of that. And even though he's in jail and he's sort of unable to go out there and do something about this, in his mind, the gospel is still being discussed, even if, even if negatively. And he's actually okay with that, okay? Because where some people might see closed doors, Paul starts to see new open windows of possibility. And when we really break it down, I think we find out Paul's principle is, is this. Even bad motives and bad press still bring God's word to fulfillment. And I think this kind of works on three levels, okay? The first one is is a simple, basic one that I think we all get. There's no such thing as bad press, right? This is a phrase that we, 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 talk, we use often, uh, especially when it comes to marketing uh, or advertising in our world, right? Um, people who wouldn't otherwise hear about your product might now hear about it, and they're interested, and they dig into it, and they look into it, and they might uh, sort of get interested themselves. And so no matter how it's spreading, it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as it's getting out there. Okay, because a few things can happen if something is spreading for largely negative reasons. Okay, first of all, um, <clears throat> some people might hear, they might turn into total haters, and they might go around and keep spreading and proliferating more bad press. Okay, this is going to happen anyway. All right, that is obviously going to happen when, when, when uh, something is heard negatively by people. Okay, but this can also happen. Someone might hear it, they might think negatively, like, oh my gosh. These Christians are all idiots or they're evil or whatever. They're just the worst people I could ever imagine because of what I've heard from this third-hand account. And then they meet an actual Christian and they're like, oh, that person's not so bad. And they're like, maybe my conceptions of this were wrong. And now they're interested in learning more about it. Maybe they're interested in going deeper and asking that Christian uh, more about it and they start to kind of seek it out. That's a good thing. Okay? Or, or the last one, maybe they do hear about it and someone intends for there to be some negativity around it, but the person who's listening hears the, the reasons they say it's so bad and they're like, I actually don't mind that. That actually kind of sounds compelling. 
right? So one of, for example, uh, one of the things that would have been heard about the gospel, and we actually find in the book of Acts that this is something that people went around saying about uh, the early Christians, is they talked about a different king or lord in the world other than Caesar, okay? And that sounds treasonous. It sounds really bad, especially if you're a big Caesar fan. You have you know, posters of Caesar in your bedroom or something. But a lot of people weren't fans of Caesar, okay? A lot of people kind of understood what the Caesars were and that they weren't necessarily great, and they would hear about a different Lord being preached, someone who had entirely different character and motives and a way of ruling than Caesar. And so while it might sound like a really terrible thing to the person talking to them about it, they might think, that doesn't sound too bad, actually. I think I want to learn more about this. Now, two of three of those scenarios are actually good, right? So this idea of this bad press uh, sort of spilling around, Paul is actually encouraged because he knows that this type of stuff can happen. But Paul goes deeper than that, okay? And I think there's a sort of spiritual component to that first level, what we just talked about, and that's this, that the Holy Spirit is greater than slander that might get spoken of, uh, of Christianity, all right? So, for example, in John 3, 8, Jesus talks about how the wind is spirit, right? And it blows where it wants and kind of does whatever it wants to. Um, and and for, for, for Jesus, what he's saying there, and for Paul, when he talks about the spirit, what, he, what they're saying is that you don't have any control over what the spirit's going to do if it's blowing around, okay? And what it does do, though, is it changes realities in people's hearts, just like it did for Paul, okay? Paul had heard about Christianity. He didn't think very well of it, but he himself was confronted by Jesus in this very dramatic fashion by the Spirit speaking to him, Jesus himself coming, and it totally changed his heart. And so the the work of the Spirit has a greater power to it than any negative press if the Spirit wants to work through that. Paul talks about this in other letters he writes. He says things like, the word came in power to a group of believers. He says this to the Thessalonians. I know that you know, God chose you because the word came in power to you. I came and I gave you a message. I gave you the best I could. But those are just words. The spirit chose to work through them, really kind of uh, establishing its, himself in your hearts in a way that sort of moved you. It moved your hearts. And, and, and that's how I know that the Spirit worked. It really doesn't have anything to do with what I said, good or bad. And I think Paul, in Paul's mind, that's what's taking place here. If the word is getting out about the gospel, about Jesus, even negatively, who knows what God is going to do with that? Okay? It's God's prerogative to sort of choose what he wants to do. So for Paul, the work of the Spirit is greater than any words that anyone could be passing along, whether good or bad. Now, the third thing, and this is where I want to dwell a little bit longer here for us, is the gospel starts and it spreads by the same pattern. Now, again, remember I said, you know, Paul, is, he thinks outside the box, but then I kind of said, that might not actually be the right way to think about it necessarily. It's not just that he's like, sees a bigger picture. It's that he has a full, deep understanding of what is actually being talked about, the gospel itself. And he's thinking within the story of Jesus, and we talk a lot about this, living within the story of the Bible, like finding ourselves as, as members of that story, inhabiting it. And when we really think about the story itself, especially when we center on Jesus specifically, what we learn is that God's promises come to pass through death that comes before new life that follows it, right? That's the gospel, that Jesus dies and that his death is a necessary starting point to resurrection and new life coming. And so for Paul to live in this story and to engage 
in this ministry is to share in this pattern with Christ. And he talks about this, again, in several places. I just want to highlight this one in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 10 to 12. He says, we, and he's talking specifically about people that are associated with Paul and his ministry, apostles, ministry workers, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Okay, notice the stark contrast of Paul saying something like, you know, I'm rich and famous. I'm accomplishing all my dreams through Jesus. Follow me and you'll be just like me. Okay, that's not at all his mindset. The sort of, you know, a mindset that we often see among people who are doing advertising or promotion or influencing. Okay, he has a very different idea of what ministry looks like, of what the spread of the gospel looks like. And I think any of you who do or want, or already do or want to do ministry of any kind, I think we need to remind ourselves of this constantly, okay? Ministry is, is not going from success to success, okay? It is giving yourself over to death, taking on people's pain and, and, and sin so that life may spread to them out of that heart of love, just like Jesus, now, later in the book of 2 Corinthians, in, in chapters 11 to 12, Paul starts to list his accomplishments, okay? And accomplishments has definitely got quotes around it, okay? Because, it, it, you, know, you, you know, when you go into someone's Twitter bio or you're listening to a podcast and, and the host is introducing their guest and they go through all the really great things about this person, all their titles, the books they've written, the degrees that they have, right? All their accomplishments, okay? So Paul is going to give us that, but he, he doesn't know how it works, apparently, because the things he lists are beatings, shipwrecks, uh, anxiety. You know, maybe if you've read that passage before, you've heard about Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh, this mysterious sort of thing that he has come upon him, right? We don't know what it is, but this is what he lists as his resume because the gospel spread through those things, okay? In his mind, all of these things that he went through were key to introducing and seeing the gospel spread to places where it had never gone before. And if you've worked in ministry, if you've done missions, you've, you've done campus ministry, if you've led even you know, small groups, community groups, Bible studies, um, if you've done any sort of really Jesus-centered labor in your life before, I think you probably know this, this reality, right? You're aware of the sleepless nights you have every once in a while, or maybe often from anxiety, okay? The helplessness that you often can feel as you do this stuff. The ugly stuff that you find yourself coming into contact as people open themselves up to you, whether it's stuff that's been done to them or, or stuff that they do to you or someone else, and you're like, what in the heck? You know, that you bear in this stuff with people, right? You, you, you take the brunt for any disdain that people have for the gospel, right, or the church. You find yourself being the center of people's uh, frustration a lot of times. Okay? Or maybe you feel tossed aside by someone that you love, that you've, you've invested a lot of time into, and they, that you feel like they just throw you off to the side after, after putting so much work into that. Okay? You feel sometimes like you're just making no impact at all. You might feel like Paul sitting in that prison cell. And in many places in the world in history, and thankfully, it's not something we experience now in America, but it certainly has been true of other Christians, either in the world now or in the past, your actual life being in danger, life itself, like Paul is feeling. 
Okay, this is what ministry really is, okay? This is what Paul wants us to understand. And I think too often we might think of getting into ministry uh, with the wrong expectation of what it is, with bad motives, seeking to gain influence or authority or power of some kind. Okay, so this all sounds bad, right? But if Paul, who's living in the story of Jesus, if he's experiencing this death, if he feels like he's living out Good Friday in his own life, then he's confident that Easter is coming, okay? Because that's the pattern of, of the gospel. That's the story that he lives in, okay? If death has come, then life is at work somewhere else. And Paul might not even always know where it's happening, but he is confident of that because the creative, powerful, surprising work of the Spirit is let loose in the world. And so Paul has assessed his situation through this lens specifically. And he says in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. So at this point where Paul is saying this, he's not sure how the trial that he's going to apparently go through at some point is what what turn it's going to take. He doesn't really have a clue. He seems to have a sense that God is going to continue to do this work through him. It's going to go favorably for him. But through all of this sort of thinking and, 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 and meditating and reasoning and, and prayer through this, he's come to this point of awareness of how inconsequential he ultimately is. Okay? He basically says, me being alive or me being dead ultimately doesn't make a difference to God's work. He can and will use both of those scenarios equally to fulfill his word. Now, that's easy to say, right? I know we, we, a lot of times we can have this sort of false humility that we talk about with other people, okay? It's easy to say stuff like that, like, I'm not that big a deal or, or whatever, okay? It's really hard to actually abide by that, okay? To think of something you're really good at or it's like your thing that you do, okay? You're really passionate about it. We all have stuff like this, right? You, you, you don't like to go around bragging about how good you are at this type of stuff maybe, but deep down in your heart, you think, I am pretty good. I'm better than most people at this thing. Okay? Imagine that, you know, it could be something that you do for a living or a hobby or just a project, projects that you do, right? You, f- you feel you're known by friends for being good at this thing, whatever it is. Imagine you, you, you have that thing, you feel essential to its efforts being accomplished, okay? That's how, like, the gospel is to Paul. Like, he talks about himself often as the apostle to the Gentiles, like having this almost title or very specific role in the history of the church, of what God is doing in the world. He, he thinks of himself in that way. He's sort of marked out to it. And despite all that, he's admitting that if he dies, it's not going to affect the mission at all. And he seems very comfortable with that in what he says here. Now, these are really the opposite of the motives that we kind of talked about earlier. And it's both humbling, but it's also really freeing to have that sort of mindset Okay? Not, to not have this fake humility of always feeling like you have to be at the top of your game in order for anything good to ever happen. Okay? Paul does not have that mindset. Now, what bearing does this have on us? Again, I want to bring it back into the present day here. And I want to talk big picture here about the church in general. Okay? Um, we all might feel a little bit like Paul when we survey the church or people's perceptions of the church. I think we're, we're living in a time where the church has really been suffering from bad motives that are producing some bad press for us. And it's stuff that we, you know, it's not unfair, right? It's stuff that we deserve as a church, perhaps. Now, Tish Harrison Warren, um, in a Christianity Today article, I, I forgot to write down the, the title of it. I think she, it's, um, the American church is a mess, but I'm still hopeful. I think that's the, the name of the article. She, she puts it well. She says, each year the problems seem more complex 
and the darkness within our institutions seems more distressing. And she cites the stats, like maybe these are stats you've seen, they're not hard to find. Um, Two-thirds of young adults, they've left the church uh, recently, and you might know these people, right? You might, you might not, that might not be a stat to you. That might be a person that you picture in your head when you hear that. And she lists some reasons, and I think they all, or most of them, they spill out of bad motives. Okay, she references denominational infighting, um, witch hunts in churches, like boogeyman threats that get thrown out there, abuse scandals, concern with political relevancy or protectionism or influence or power, caring about those things more than people and, and the gospel and loving others. And I think she's right. Christians can be major hypocrites. We can be very selective in how we choose to follow Jesus, okay? Showing grace and love to people like us, right? People who are easy to show that to, but not the people who are a little more difficult, maybe. Um, we find that some really prominent Christians are jerks, and they seem to be very comfortable with the fact that they're jerks. Like, they don't apologize for it at all, okay? And they're, they're concerned with power, authority, influence over people, Okay? Over people instead of, uh, and, and care, they care about growing a profile over caring for the flock and loving the people that have, they've been called to love. Whatever that looks like, even if it's mundane sometimes, they are, they're not concerned with it. They're worried about protecting themselves and they see everyone else or everything else as just some threat to that. Okay? And obviously people are aware of this stuff. It's not like I'm you know, presenting anything to you that you're like, really, I didn't know any of this stuff. Like, this is, this is an issue a lot of people are aware of, and when people leave the church, they're, they're saying, I get that, and I'll pass on that. I don't really want to be associated with that, okay? It's understandable. But Tish Harrison Warren continues. She says, but I believe that God is far more invested in purifying and strengthening his church than I am. I therefore live in the full knowledge that I cannot predict the future, as bad as it looks, I can't even take a guess. I think Paul, if he were commenting on our situation now, he might say something similar, okay? Uh, Not sure how things are going to go, just like he's not sure how that trial that he has is going to go. He's not sure how things are going to go now. He doesn't know the future, okay, or how things will be resolved around him. But no matter what, he doesn't think that anything that's happening is ultimately a death sentence for him or the gospel, Okay, because he's in a story where death sentences lead to resurrections. That's the story that he inhabits. Because nobody's bad motives manifesting, from bad, or manifesting in bad press can keep God from his work of what Tish Harrison Warren says, purifying and strengthening his church, or as Paul says, of honoring or enlarging Christ. Because the work of the Spirit is greater than anything else, good or bad. Now let's think counterintuitively here. Okay? Death leads to life. And Tish Harrison Warren talks about this in her article. She talks about purifying. She talks about this is what's going on with the church right now. It's something called purification. Now, this is a really important concept in the Bible that we rarely talk about nowadays because it's super uncomfortable to talk about. But if it's in our Bibles, we should talk about it. That's our view as a, as a church here at Res City. We talk about sometimes reading all of Scripture is like taking your full multivitamin, okay? Everything that's packed into that thing, whether you want it or not, you've got to eat all of it because it's good for you. Same with our Bibles. Everything in there is good for us. It wouldn't be in there if it wasn't. And this idea of purification that shows up all over the Bible is usually applied to to metalworking, right? You burn off imperfections in the metal that are, you know, painful. It's not a fun process for the metal. If, you know, the metal could think, uh, it probably wouldn't enjoy purification. But 
it burns off these imperfections and it makes it better, makes it more of what it's supposed to be. And so this gets talked about in the Bible all the time. So when we ask ourselves, what is Jesus, who cares so much about his church, um, that what is he going to do with a church that is more concerned oftentimes with expanding influence or power? Well, if we look at the story, it makes sense that we see that God is going to engage in this sort of uh, purification of his people, using consequences of their own failure challenges oftentimes to do it. Okay? This is what God is doing all the time in the Old Testament with his people in Israel. And from, the bud, you know, from, from this, the buds of new life start to sprout out of it. So are we in the middle of some sort of maybe painful purification process as a church here? I think we probably are. I think that, you know, that, that, that discomfort we oftentimes feel with the church, of, with, with people we might meet and not knowing exactly what to do, I think that's intentional. And it sucks, but it, it, it's, it's used for a good purpose, I think, that God is engaging in. It, okay? So even though it's a painful process, we're becoming a better version of ourselves as a church as a result of it. Okay? We're becoming more of what we're supposed to be. And what comes out of something like this is a more pure, a more humble, a more Jesus-focused church is a thing that comes out of it. One that has experienced death and despair and, and pain and suffering, but in the pattern of the gospel has also now seen life and hope and fruit grow from it. And so it's scarred, but that means it's able to engage with the scars of the world now. Right? It's not like the church is the only thing that goes through challenges like this. And instead of being so concerned with its own sort of grandiose view of itself and focusing on its imperfections, its scars, its, its pain that's gone through, it's ready to connect now with the world that is full of scars, itself looking for hope. And the church can become a symbol of what the work that God is doing in the world is. And so as, as we kind of look around us sometimes and maybe feel discomfort like what Tish Harrison Warren is talking about, I really believe we got to inhabit that mindset that Paul has, believing that the story that is being written here is one that's in the pattern of the gospel. And so we can choose to have despair or we can choose to have excitement and hope, believing God will continue to do what he's always done. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that you are in the business of bringing life out of death. And that happens in, we've experienced this in our own lives probably. Um, we have read about it in scripture, God, as we see what you do in Jesus, in his death and his resurrection. And we see it in the lives of so many of the other characters uh, that show up in the Bible as well. And Lord, I pray that as we move forward in times of uncertainty or challenge in our own lives, whether it's individually or as we look at the wider state of the church in the world right now, that you would uh, help remind us that when you write stories, you don't write stories of death. You write stories that include death but lead to new life. Help us to, to, to understand that we live in that story, God. Help us to bring that to our minds, uh, Lord, as we move forward in whatever situations we might find ourselves, God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, the one who brings life out of death. Amen.